Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of How the Grades Do It. Super excited about our conversation today. We have Lavi Schechter. He is a VP of Sales at DeerDoc. Lavi, appreciate you jumping on with us, man. I am uh, very thankful, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're up to at DeerDoc, and then you know we kind of just take the conversation where it goes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, thanks again. I always like to like to just you know show gratitude. I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. So, uh, DeerDoc is. Um, DeerDoc is a, a conversational intelligence AI company. We uh, we're in the healthcare uh, industry, and the the idea is so is so simple that it's kind of it's kind of silly. We um, we are like an extension of the doctor and the office manager for when you know like it's after hours or weekends when the office is closed and people still have really important questions that they have to answer. Yeah. Um, you know, like insurance related prescription related um and even just like some basic stuff like office hours and do you work with children um and we we offer a conversational ai chat to these healthcare practices and uh we're we're converting their existing website traffic into new patients which is like really really cool it's like they're missing yeah. a lot of money um by not answering people's questions like if you wake up at two in the morning with a toothache there's nobody that you can call so 100%. Our, 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 our chat is like as close to a human being as you can get, which is really cool. So <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, I'm really proud of this, uh, of this particular time in my life. I, I really love Deer Doc. No, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I think that that goes to show, right. And maybe a, a lesson for everyone out there, right. You got to believe in your product that you're selling. And, um, if you don't, right. I think people can tell. For sure. Oh, they'll, they'll see right through you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, man, I'd love to hear about how you got into sales. Man, um, I'm going to try to give you the, the, the quickest version of this story as possible. So, um, yeah. it, you know, it's, it started out, so I was 18 years old. I was, um, I, and I don't, I don't mind sharing this. You know, my, uh, my father was sick. He, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer when I was a teenager. And, um, during the days my mom was at work. So I was, uh, at home. I had to stay home. And uh, essentially play the role of caretaker for my dad because he was he was really sick. Yeah. Um, in in the evenings, I would go to night classes, uh, college college classes at night. Uh, so I I missed your traditional four year, you know, like dorm room party oh, yeah. till till three in the morning. Uh, that like whole college university environment. Um, Sadly for me, in that time of my life, I missed it. Um, but what what I what I found was like while I was at home during the day, I was bored as hell, and it's like I couldn't sit still. And I found this random book called HTML for Dummies. Do you remember HTML from like back in the day? By the oh, way, oh yeah, I think I think that's how we coded a lot of our um our MySpace pages. You know, yes. you go in, you yes. put a new backdrop in, you copy and paste it, put a song on your profile. I think we, you know, I don't know how we all made a reversion back, but we were all HTML coders Yeah, at some point, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, 
I'm totally showcasing my age here when I talk about HTML for dummies. Yeah, I was going to uh, say maybe me too. I should have said, no, I don't know about that. Yeah, you should have been like, what are you talking about? I don't um, know any I don't know any of that coding stuff. No. <laughs> so you know, I'm like, I'm bored as hell during the day. Uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. And I, I found this book, HTML for Dummies, and I, I, I fell in love with coding. I'm an undercover, you know, secret computer nerd at heart. And I realized that, you know, I could design some websites. And at that time, like late 90s, I'm really showing my age, late 90s, this whole website revolution, you know, a lot of businesses did not have websites. But I, I understood very quickly, like, you need a website. Like, this is, yeah. this is the way the world is, is headed. If you don't have one, you're leaving money on the table. And uh, I started cold calling small businesses that I found on the yellow pages, like the printed yellow pages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I called oh, them. Oh, yeah. Like, like, you guys need a website, man. And, you know, at first it, it really didn't work. Um, they were like, no, like, what's what company are you calling from? And I'm like, uh, Levi's website design, you know, and they're like, <laughs> we're not, they, they did not feel me at all. Uh, and then this one lady, I'm trying to give you the shortest version of this story. This yeah. one lady, she, she she took pity on me. She's like, how, how old are you, kid? And I'm like, uh, 18. She's like, okay. Why, why aren't you playing that card? Play that card. Like, call people and say, hey, I'm 18 years old. I just learned how to code in HTML. And I'm trying to launch this thing. You know, I'm, I'm a broke college student. And I take night classes at night while I take care of my dad during the day. And she's like, play that card. Why don't you, why don't you play that card? And I'm like, what? Just say that? And she's like, yeah, start saying that. And man, I tell you right now, like, when I flip the script... I started yeah. calling people, hey, I'm a broke college student. I take care of my dad during the day. I take college classes at night. I know how to design websites, right? I studied HTML. Hey, let me build you a website. And they were like, all right. And it was so funny how that one thing changed. And that's my uh, that's my introduction to sales. Uh, I started cold calling businesses down the Yellow Pages and building super cheap, super basic, like three-color you know, websites for small businesses. Yep. Yeah. It, and funny how that kind of industry has evolved. Now you can add a click of a button. AI will build you a website, yeah. you know, in a matter of minutes. Um, and it'll be, you know, the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen. For, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like they, they don't need, they don't need kids to build you websites anymore. Uh, they got a button yeah. that does it for you now. Y yeah, absolutely. You, but you bring up a good point and, you know, I know you wanted to take the short version of that story, but, you know, it's such a big difference of I here's what I suspect was happening. You tell me if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm right. Right. Like it was honing of the pitch. And I think when you probably first started calling, right, like it's I think it's like as anybody as they first start calling, they think that you have to put on this fake voice and this fake persona and mm -hmm. pretend to be something you're not. And what that lady showed you was like, look, tell people your story, be your authentic self. People will see right to that and they will say, look, all right, let's give this guy a shot. Right. That's right. You're, you, you, you nailed it, Tyler. You nailed it. And she, she was nice enough to call me on my BS, but like, yeah, not, not in a way where she wanted to hurt me in a way where she just actually wanted to help. Uh, I was totally yeah. BSing at first and people saw right through that. I had this like, <laughs> idea that I needed to be overly professional and, you know, speak <laughs> in a way. And 
people people could tell people could tell i was full of it um yeah that's exactly why they didn't give me time of day you're right you nailed it and you know it's so funny how often we see people do that same exact thing except in your they weren't they're not 18 right they're a seasoned sales professional they're they're putting on this front and it's like yo if you just be yourself people will <laughs> see that authentic authenticity right like be you own that and and have real conversations and i think that's what that lady taught you to do really early on which you know now you're a sales leader and um and yep. so maybe that was the groundwork to show you she didn't say hey be your authentic self but she said hey share your story right and and then that made you have to be your authentic self like you weren't able to put a front of on at that point and i think ultimately that's why people then maybe started to buy and I and I wonder sometimes, you know, why did I think at that age or why do people still think in their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond that putting on a front is necessary? Like, I wonder that, too. And I don't know why I, I, I'm trying to feel like what made me want to do that? And I, I can't still I still can't piece it together in my head. Yeah. I know that I wanted to. I just can't think of why. Yeah, I think right. Like, I think there's a perception that we think we have to be professionals at everything, right? And I think that's maybe a, a struggle that we see with salespeople day in and day out. Currently, right, where they think, "Hey, I have to be a subject matter expert, or I have to know everything about this product or everything about this industry." And ultimately, the people that you're calling on, they don't know everything about the industry. They don't know everything about um, all the technologies out there. And so. I think we're all in a grasp of information and just being a little bit more real with people is like, Hey, if I know the answer, I'm going to give it to you. And if I don't know the answer, I'm not going to bullshit with you and beat around the bush. I'm going to tell you, Hey, it's a great question. Let me get back with my team and figure out an answer for you on that. And if we see it a lot, if we saw a lot more of that, um, you know, maybe we'd see a lot, little more authentic self, but maybe there, another reason could be, and this is maybe just a fun brainstorming activity. Um, maybe it's the companies that, somewhat put people in a box you say hey this is what we found to be a really successful seller and and then they put you in a box and then you know the perception is hey i have to be able to sell this way and that's the way they were taught maybe really early on in their career and they and so that somewhat has translated down the line yeah. um but as i think about the most successful salespeople in my career they were weird they were a little odd they had their own way of doing things but it was so authentic to them they were like, only that person can come into that meeting and say that. And that's and and I would say back to the other person, I was like, I don't think so. I just think that person's being the authentic self. So it comes off super genuine because we all know that seller is like that. Yeah. And so the I, customer then appreciates them for them. I think I think you're right. I think it might come down from um from whoever it is that's teaching you in that moment. Maybe yeah. they're the ones who maybe they're the ones who are saying, do it like this. Uh, and they're not really giving you the freedom to be creative, and that's maybe probably where it's coming from. I think, I think you're right, man. I really do. So, you know, we had a whole thing planned out around what we were going to talk about, but this is kind of a fun conversation. Like, so I think us as sales leaders, like, how do we then, how do we then empower our people to be their authentic self? But stay within a framework, right, and a team mentality so that it's like you don't have a bunch of lone wolves out there. But on the flip side of that, you still have that team mentality and you have a bunch of individuals that can really contribute it in their own different way. Because ultimately, that's why we hire people, right? We hire people 
to do a job because, hey, we think yeah. they're going to be good at that when we interview them. But then we put them in a box and say, hey, this is the way that you need to do this. It's like I maybe think, there needs uh, to be a little bit of freedom there. You know, it's uh, it's such a good question. And we could we could go we can go like 12 different ways with, with this one. Um, yeah. I think I think where I'm going to go with it is that we have to be very careful, first of all, who we promote into leadership so that this person can carry on the right traditions instead of the wrong ones. The irony, yeah. like this is, this is one of the most ironic things in sales. The, the best salespeople often do not make the best sales leaders because they are in their box. They've got their yeah. blinders on. They've pieced together a process that works so well for them that any deviation from that is like, it's off their script. Their script is in their head. Their process is yeah. sound. It works for them. What they don't realize is that the reason it works for them is because of who they are and their voice and their tone. And then you promote mm -hmm. these people in leadership sometimes, and they only try to teach their process, not realizing that this process only works for one person. And yeah. I think that's the foundation of your original question is like, how do we train flow as opposed to robotic behavior? How do we train flow? Yeah. It's like, I think we have to start by promoting the right people into leadership who, who enable creativity, who say, you know, like, the, the end result is way more important than, than how you got there. How you got there matters. There should, yeah. be, a, there should be a process. And I, I do encourage some creativity, but like, but I guess what I'm saying is like, the process works. Don't deviate too much, but I still need you to be you. Like, why, yeah. why did we hire you? We hired you because of your charisma, because of your tone, because, you know, like you nailed the interview and now yeah. you come into the job and we try, we try to force you to be somebody other than the person we hired. Isn't that funny, right? Like, I think it's maybe just a natural transition as you onboard people. You're like, hey, this is how we, this is how we found success in the past. And yep. I think maybe we, we lose a little bit of that, you know, because as you think yep. about sales, it's a game of inches and yards, right? And it's small percentages. You know, I spoke with somebody and they said, hey, my connect rate has been this quarter 5% compared to last year, which was, you know, 12%. And so, you know, 7% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you multiply it across, you know, 20, 20 team members and 7% of lost connection rates when they're, you know, when they're doing 2,500 calls in a quarter or, or what have you, right? Like that's a big difference. You know, they're speaking to the way less people. And so ultimately it's that it's the little intangible things that I think either push a deal forward or don't push a deal forward. And right. Right. yeah. I also I also wonder if there's a difference between, you know, highly transactional sales and more consultative approaches. Um, I think that in like a high in a very highly transactional environment, I, I, I do think a script is important uh, yeah. because there is, you know, there is a point A that you start. And if you follow a very specific process that has been proven to work by, you know, thousands of people before you. Sure. That might that might be silly to deviate from that. Like maybe, maybe don't try to prove a thousand people wrong today, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and go along with the script that was given you because it is like, it's time tested. 
in, yeah. in a more consultative environment, maybe like mid-market enterprise, you know, where you have dozens of stakeholders, where you have to do tremendous amount of research, then then maybe a script might not be the right approach. Maybe it's like, let's figure out the need and the problem and let's try to find creative ways to solve it. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit in a tug of war on that personally. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Man, um, what has has like really formed your like your methodology or your approach to sales? Like, are there things that have happened throughout your career that has really um uh, like yeah. caused you to think this way? Or like, I'd love to hear maybe hear a few of those stories, um, and understand a little bit more around that methodology. Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. So you know, I um, I spent almost a decade at Yelp which is a massive organization. You know, it's a, it is a world-renowned company. You'd have a hard time sure. walking down the street and somebody not knowing what, what Yelp is. So that's, right. that, that, that was a fun time of my life. And, you know, when we started, we, we were kind of a nobody. We were, not, we were not the big boys on the block. We were a nobody. We would call people and say, hey, are you familiar with Yelp? And they would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Huh? Yeah. Yelp? Yellow pages. <laughs> I know the yellow pages, and um, being being at Yelp, especially in the early days, I was surrounded. I feel I feel like I'm so lucky. I really feel like I got my masters in sales at Yelp during those ten years. I was surrounded by so many hardworking hustlers because we were we were building a company from scratch. You know, and yeah. we were trying to find our voice. We were trying to figure out better processes, and uh, I just feel very thankful. So you asked me, you know, what, how did I form my sales style, or what were some of my my moments? I uh, I'm I'm incredibly grateful. Like, especially between 2011 and like 2014, 2015, we were super creative at that time. We were uh, so solutions oriented. We were. You know, if we had a problem, we'd sit in a room and figure out a way to solve it. And like everybody had a voice and um, I got a chance to hear some of the best salespeople in the world all around yeah. me all at once, you know, hustling, closing deals. And I just took notes and I'm like, oh, that line is fire. I'm writing that. <laughs> and, you know, this 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 group of people that sat next to me, we all just like we fed off of each other. Uh, and we grew. We didn't even realize what we didn't even realize we were growing. But yeah. if you if you look back, you know how you, you know how you say like the good old days, and you like, hey, the good old days. Like, man, those were the good old days of Yelp, <laughs> a, a time where like freedom to sell, freedom to learn. Um, it was a, it was a much it was a far less like corporate environment. You know, right. it was very much like let's do this thing, let's hustle, and let's find solutions. Uh, those years were like my formative sales years. I probably learned more in those in those four or five years at Yelp than I've ever like in all my years of sales, just by listening and taking notes. And uh, no, I, I love yeah. that. And <clears throat> I mean, so often I think we somewhat forget about you know the ancillary li ancillary value of just listening, right? Like you know they they say always be selling, and I think actually it should be always be listening. Totally. Right? Totally. It's totally because ultimately, like if, if you're always closing, like and maybe, right, there's a, there's a time where that transactional sale, maybe you should always be closing, but I don't, even then, 
right? It's like, if you're not asking the right questions, if you're not hearing the responses, if you're sticking to a script and not having real conversation, ultimately, I don't think you're truly understanding the customer's pain or your persona's pain at that point for you to be able to then structure a, you, you know, a solution in that sense to say, Hey, what, what's your, if you don't truly understand the problem, how can you then pitch a, a pitch a solution for the problem? Yeah, because then then you get commission breath, right? And the client there knows the, they know that you're trying to close a sale as opposed to trying to find a solution. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess I guess you can talk your way out of a sale, but you can't you can't really listen your way out of one, can you? <laughs> no, right? I think if you, I think ultimately, right? Like people, you can always say I I talk to um executives every day, and no one has ever said. You know, somebody came on a call with me and asked really great questions and it was like a horrible experience. Like no one ever says that. What they say is a salesperson got on a call, they ran me through a demo that made zero sense. And I ultimately didn't buy because they tried to sell me features and benefits without even understanding why we were looking for the features and benefits in the first place to solve the actual problem that they were looking to solve. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I wish uh, I, I wish young people would listen to what you just said. I wish a lot more young people. That statement you just said, I, I would love for that to be like a slogan, at, you know, <laughs> at, at business schools, really, because because uh, it's so yeah. real, and so much money has been lost on over talking and uh, and trying to close a sale as opposed to trying to helping someone. Yeah, and so like, you know, I talk about this a lot, but there's this big idea around the prospect experience, but I think it's the something that's almost lastly thought about, right? Like we have all these, um, we have all these things that need to be filled out in Salesforce. And so ultimately I think what ends up happening, especially in software is we're trying to take customers through our discovery process where we should understand how does our customer going to buy and then under just, just seek to understand, right? And if you have the mentality, I don't think you can go wrong. For sure. For sure. And then, you know, and, and let's be real. Our, one of our jobs is to create a little bit of pain. Sure. We have to, we have to do that. Uh, without, without pain, there's no urgency. Um, but we can, we can certainly create a little bit of pain by understanding what they need to accomplish right now. Yeah. And if we listen to that deeply, we can, we can leverage that in a good way, not, not in a, you know, not trying to get commission breath, but like I listen to what you said. I feel your pain. I have a solution that'll solve this pain right now. And then yeah. this time, this time next week, you won't have this pain. And uh, that's that's a challenge. That's a really really big challenge. We we we've seen too many movies, you know, that like <laughs> uh, like Glen Gary Glen Ross or Boiler Room, you know, where where the the only desire is to bring in the cash as opposed to helping someone. Yeah, you you know, I, I I can't agree more, right? And I think ultimately, like, if we're not solving a problem or a solution, right, for a company, we're not going to sell our product anyways. And yeah. so taking someone through a really thoughtful discovery process is the only way that you're going to understand, like, hey, can I help these people? And if the answer is no, like, maybe that's time to walk away from the deal. Because, um, you know, ultimately, it's, right, it's like, me. it's not going to be a long-term customer anyways. That's that's right. That's right. And if they churn out, then who cares? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Like at, at this point, right at company, right? Like we're looking for, you know, 
LTV is super important. Um, and ultimately, yeah. if we, your bad customers, um, like you can't have, you know, if you have bad reviews or bad customer reviews, right? It, those weigh you down 10 times more than the good ones. And so yeah. it's finding those win-win solutions. And so how have you found it's best for you to like direct your team to be like, look, like we need win-win solutions, but ultimately we also need sales too. And so it's finding that, that fine line of um, like ultimately yeah. I think win-wins, you know? Well, I think, I, I think you have to understand how, like if you work for an organization, you work for someone else, uh, yeah. then you have to understand you, you like, you almost want to meet with the CFO if you can. If you have if you have access to the CFO or at least somebody high up enough where you can get a real breakdown of, of how the company sees profits. And if you understand that, then you can relay it down to your team. I, I've always found that the people who work for me, they're they're yeah. not stupid. They they're, they're they're not showing up to work to just bang out dials every single day and do what they're told. They yeah. really want they want to understand what their purpose is. And if if I have a deeper understanding of how the company makes money, you know, what what are what our long-term financial goals are, um what what does a profit and loss look like? You know, like if yeah. I have a hypothetically an an SDR on my team and you know, again, this is all like hypothetical. Let's just say that that SDR is at a salary of, you know, like $50,000 a year. Sure. I need to understand I need to understand the unit economics of that individual and I want to actually explain it to them. I I love explaining mm. who works for me like what their unit economics are. And I've had such success with that where people are like, "Wow, like I understand I really understand my role here. Like I know what what I'm worth to the company from a financial standpoint. I understand yeah. what the company is spending <clears throat> on me." And a lot of people don't know that. They don't know that that yes, they are an asset, but two, like what their true responsibility is. Their true responsibility is not to generate a meeting for tomorrow morning. Like that's part of it. Their true yeah. responsibility is to generate revenue long term so that they are seen as a plus instead of a minus. More often than not, if they are perceived, not not even perceived, they are recognized as a, as a plus, then they get to grow their own career maybe lead others. Uh, I, I find great joy in explaining unit economics to the individual, letting them know how the company spends money on them, what they cost, what their benefits are worth, like yeah. what it costs us to train. And I'll be like, wow, like, wow. Like this, the first thing they realize is, oh, this company is really invested in me mm -hmm. <laughs> like big time. They spent a lot yeah. of money on just, just recruiting me cost $5,000. Yeah. I'm like, all right, um, wow. And they just, and senior leaders hardly ever explain that to people, what their own unit economics are worth. I found great yeah. success in that. And they very, very included. I, lo I love that. And I think I, so I, I've worked for many different companies over the years. And I think I've only had one company do this, right? To that point where you're saying like, hey, this is the unit economics. And like, here's our break even point on a sales rep. And because I think ultimately, if you talk about it that way, and it's like, hey, just for us to break even, like we have a three, we have a six month sales cycle and we bring you in and we understand it's going to take you 
three months to build a pipeline of accounts. And then it's you with your six month sales cycle. And so we have nine months of just dead. And so ultimately, if you're not here for two years, we're going to lose money. And so having those conversations up front and saying, look, like if you don't, in this year, first year, we expect you to do this, but in your second year, we do you, we expect you to do this, but we're not actually going to hit our ROI or even return on investment on you as a salesperson, unless you do these things all the way into year two. And I think if we have more transparent conversations like that with our team and connected the dots to say, Hey, SDR, ultimately you're paid on meetings, but you know, what it yeah. comes down to our break even point is, Hey, this is how much you need to build in pipeline because we know this is what our closing rate looks like. And that's then right. anything in over and above that, that's when you know you're providing immense value to the company because you're over and above your, your break even point at that point. And you know, I think that's when you maybe explain companies aren't in business to break even. That's right. Especially not in this economy. Right. I think, you know, uh, yeah. PE firms are evaluating companies differently and it's really for the bottom line. And so, Ultimately, you being able to relay that to the company to say, look, at my quarterly thing, hey, this is what I did this month. And ultimately, after numbers that you gave me, this is how much value I provided to the company over and beyond. And maybe it would be a little bit different of a conversation. It'd be be so different. And, you know, if... I'm I'm very guilty of this, Tyler. I'll be honest with you. In my my earlier days of leadership, I kind of talked down to people who worked for me. I would just be like, hey... Do your job. Come in, bang out your dials. I need you to make your dial. I, I would say things like that. I need you to bang yeah. out your dials today. And you know, like after after a few months and years of doing something like that, you quickly realize that people lose respect for you. You know, they're not they're not stupid. Like we we yeah. hired them because they're smart. That's why we hired them. So let's let's Absolutely. treat them like they're and educate them on how the company functions. What what keeps this wheel moving? And man, they um they really love you for that. They really think, well, I work for a human being, not just like some robot. Yeah. And so like, I, you know, I think there becomes a line where there's the personal side of, of work and then there's the work side, right? And so that person, bringing that personal side and being vulnerable, I think is the way that you connect with team and build trust, right? For them to see like, hey, I'm a real person. Like, I'm never going to ask you to do anything that you, that I would never do myself. But on the flip side, like, where do you think that line is of how much personal you should bring into the workplace? Because ultimately, you know, we're working with other people and the real, the more real you can be with your team, I think the better you can connect with them. But I also think there's a, there's a differentiation and a line there. So like, what advice do you have for people there? Um, Great, great question. I think there, there are three roles that you play, you know, the, the, the CEO of, of Deer Doc, is um is is someone who I actually look up to a lot in terms of leadership capabilities and you know he he broke it down to me and like you know how sometimes you think something in your head but you don't really know how to how to just phrase yeah. it like you you feel a lot but it takes like oh those are the words I was looking for so yep. uh, he he broke it down in in so you you have you have the role of of leadership you have the role of management and then you have the role of accountability. And so you have three, three pieces of this puzzle that you play leadership, management, and accountability. And I've always felt that I could take someone out to, to, to a beer. We could hang out after work, be buddies, 
But then the next day, we got to go back into into manager mode, and we got to do the do the damn thing. We got to do what yeah. we're supposed to do. And I should have such a great relationship with you if you work for me. I should have such a great relationship with you that we can go grab a steak dinner, order a martini, have ourselves an evening, and the next day, I also have the right to to maybe even chew you out a little bit because you're missing your your revenue goals. Maybe you're slacking off. Maybe you took like a two and a half hour lunch. I should be able to say to you, like, what the F are you doing? Yeah. And the, that relationship would still be strong because we built trust. Um, and, and that person, should they should never fear me. I never want to be feared. That's not mm-hmm. the goal. I certainly want to be liked. I want to be respected. And um, even when things get really tough, really tough and somebody's falling so far behind i gotta do the right thing by them i gotta pull them aside and i say hey the the place you're headed down right now telling you it's not gonna look good in about 30 days so i don't want to wait i don't want to wait until 30 days from now to have this conversation i don't want to surprise you i want to be a good boss i want to be a good friend this is what a good friend would do a good friend will pull you aside and say you're headed down a dangerous path. Let's prevent that before it yeah. gets worse. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, like fictional rep, like we'll call him Rep A. Hopefully, Rep A, you appreciate what I'm doing for you right now instead of hating me for it. Kind of like telling yeah. someone they got something in their teeth. <laughs> right. What you know, and you, <clears throat> that's bring that's even bring it back, right? If you had a rep that was failing, right, and you were trying to hold them accountable, it's like, look. The company loses this amount of money every single month based off the performance currently. Right? And if you made it more of a business conversation around, hey, ultimately, like, you know what you get paid, right? And you know, like, hey, what it takes to then, what's your break-even point on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis? So ultimately, the company losing this amount of money. So, like, what... What what should I do on my end, right? Like, because I have a team to to answer to, just like you're answering to me. Like, and I think maybe at that point we would have more people leaving the company rather than us as sales leaders having to make the really difficult decision to ultimately maybe let somebody go, because we've just been so transparent up to that point. I don't know. That's right. Maybe that's right. And yeah, no, I I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that statement. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a person who's in the right company, but maybe they're in the wrong seat at that company. Um, I've recently discovered, I've recently discovered that as well, uh, in the last few years that sometimes, you know, maybe they, they're super charismatic and they want to work hard, but for some reason, this one role is just, it's just not their bread and butter. It's just not their cup of tea. Well, I want to t- I want to tell them that too. And then yeah. maybe we find something else that that they find passion in. And then if not, you know, they could self-select out. They could say, "You know what? I I gave it everything right. I had. It's not this is not my my journey. This is not where my journey goes." Uh and then they self-select out, which is also the right thing for them in that moment. Right. I mean, are there certain qualities that you look for in sales people whether that's entry level or even like higher level like are there certain attributes that you look for consistently yeah yeah it's so funny because you know how like a great salesperson is supposed to be a little arrogant you know they have to have they have to have some swag 
And yep. they need to know, they need to walk around sometimes, you know, with their chest puffed out and like maybe their, their, their stuff doesn't stink. Um, yeah. I do appreciate, I do appreciate that. I, I do enjoy that quality in a salesperson, but on the flip side, they, they got to have some, some humility too. And yeah. th I think that that is more rare. Uh, I'd rather work with someone who is incredibly coachable over somebody who has, you know, maybe they've tasted success in the past and they have their way uh, and they're not really willing to deviate from their way. Right. That is actually not a help. Like I probably won't hire that person, even if in their previous role, they, they were a killer. They had yeah. like, they never met a number, but, but they're, but they're not willing to take feedback in their new role. I all, I don't care how much money you've made. I need you to be a I need you to be coachable. So yeah. coachability, I'll I'll take a rookie who's coachable over a seasoned veteran who's like, you know, that ship has sailed. Ten out of ten out. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think that that makes a ton of sense, right? Like we want someone to be part of the team. Ultimately, even if you are playing that lone wolf uh, role, or hey. I always let the, the analogy, right, when I was a salesperson, I was like, man, don't cage me up. I'm a lion. Let me roam <laughs> my jungle, right? And let me just, you know, let a lion be a lion, right? And um, But ultimately, I think you're spot on with companies want to see people um, be part of the team and be coachable. And right? I think that's those are things that are going to be valued a little bit higher than maybe ultimately always hitting your number. Um, yeah, because I think there's what we found, right? There's not just one way to do things anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Aligned. A few years ago, uh, when I say a few, it's more like ten. Like about ten years ago at, at Yelp, we we updated a part of our recruiting process to play a series of recorded calls to someone okay. and kind of see what they felt. Um, and that was really eye opening for us in terms of coachability, like. Based on this call, what are your takeaways? And some people said, wow, that call was amazing, even though we played them like the worst call ever. <laughs> so we had, we had to let them know gently, like, actually, that call was terrible. And here are three things we need to do differently. And then we would ask them to role play the things we did differently and see if they were willing mm. to role play it uh, in the interview. That was really eye-opening for us. Uh, changed really changed the way we we prospected for new recruits, and uh, it, it was a big, big tool as part of our recruiting process for coachability. What did you find when doing that? Like, where they're just you just found like, hey, people that were able to then on the spot take <laughs> the notes and then implement those. Like, I, I would say we're not expect like for the people that did it, they probably was like, hey, I'm not expecting perfection here. But I'm right. expecting you to try to be coachable. And I think that's probably right. what you were looking for there. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I would I would give them a, you know, um, like an objection. And I would say, hey, yep. this is unscripted. I'm not exactly like you said, Tyler. Like, I'm not expecting okay. perfection or greatness. You you don't work here. So you, can't, you couldn't possibly know the inner workings of yeah. our company. I'm just going to throw this objection out there. I kind of just want to see how you feel about it. And then they would handle it. And then I would say, okay, you did these three things really well. Do that again. But I want you to try these maybe one or two things a little bit differently. I'm going to coach you on the tone. I want you to uh, 
uh, really emphasize this one piece. Let's see how you do there. Okay, go. And we'll see, we'll see if they listened. And if they did, you know, that shows that, that they have some trust and it shows that they're willing to, to do something differently. It also shows that they have no ego, you know, like they, you can't have ego in this moment. You're, you're still trying to get the job. So maybe set your ego aside for like two seconds. Um, don't get me wrong. Ego, pride, those, <laughs> those things can sometimes play, play an assist in your world as a salesperson. Be prideful sure. for your, be prideful of your product. Be prideful of your company. That's when pride works. But during the interview, you, you got to shed that nonsense and just, just take it. Yeah. Eat a little humble pie, even though you, we may not as salespeople like the taste. Um, I've had to eat yeah. it multiple times and I ha- and I always say, don't like the taste, but you know, I'm happy to eat it when appropriate. Um, ha- happy to eat some. Maybe not happy yeah. to eat some, but I will. Me too. To this day, I- I'll tell you right now, I, I don't love it. I don't, yeah. I don't love it when somebody sits me down and says, hey, I need you to do this thing differently next time. My first instinct is, what? No, yeah. I, did that, I did that right. <laughs> you know, but then I, I sleep on it. And then I realize that there's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. Yeah, I love that, right? Like a little re- retrospect. And then, you know, we I, I even talk about it now as like eating humble pie is a bad thing, but maybe we need to change the mentality around that is like, hey, even our own shit stinks a little bit sometimes. Totally. Right? Totally. And um, just as we can provide coaching to this, even the most seasoned salesperson, right? They can still use coaching. We as as leaders can still use that same sort of, sort of coaching, and it and it and it doesn't have to be from um, somebody above us to for us to get that nugget from. You know, yeah. I'll, I have a story here. So I used to do one on ones, and I'd ask a few things during those one on ones. I would say what went well last week, what didn't go well. Um, what's, what's something you need help with? Like, what's something I can help you with? And, and I thought that was a great setup. And someone once asked me recently on my team, they said, why don't you ask what you could do better? And it was like a huge aha moment. I was like, I've never asked that. And ultimately, how can I become a better manager and leader? If I'm not asking the people that I work with day in and day out, how can I be a better leader for you? Or how mm-hmm. can I better manage you? And it was this huge light bulb moment to say, uh, you're working with these people every day. Who not right. to make you better, but the people that you manage. That's right. That's right. Le- leaders don't like feedback from their own people either. But just like you yeah. said, a little, a little humble pie goes a long way. No, that's great. That's really great. And, you know, it sounds like it sounds like you created a safe space for your people where they're allowed to say those things to you, which is also really great. Yeah, right. I think that's where you start to build that trust, right? It's like, hey, this is, we don't, we don't fail, right? We always have to get better together. And ultimately, if we have that mentality um, and that trust build, right? It's like, when I give you feedback, it's not to hurt your feelings. It's not, right. it's not a personal attack, right? It's like, I, I'm only giving you this feedback because I want to make you better. And ultimately, when I got that feedback, and I continue to get feedback now, because I have it on a weekly basis with each, each person on the team, I'm giving feedback in a way that it's like, okay, like, 
hey, I'm not perfect. I want to always be asking to make myself better and coming coming with it, with having eaten that that pie already to say, all right, I'm happy to make myself better if um if there's room for improvement. And so fire away because yeah. all, 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 all we're doing at that point is like giving them the same opportunity that we're asking them to give us. And, and, and the same opportunity we're asking them to give their own clients. There, what, yeah, exactly. Right. So it comes full circle. All the way. 360. Yeah. Like the, the entire circle. Yep. Right. 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 Man. Um, how do you want people to remember you uh, as like, yeah. you know, I, I always ask at the end of my podcast calls, like, how do you want people to remember you when you leave this life? But for you, like when you leave, when you leave and go into, when you're leaving and going to a new organization, right? Because like, that happens. Um, like, how do you want people to remember you that can work with you day in and day out? Like, let's say, you know, it's at Yelp or... Yeah. Um, I think... ultimately, um, that's how we were introduced, right? Like, we were introduced because someone thought so highly of it. They said, hey, you have to talk to this guy and have him on the podcast. He is one of the great. Yeah, I, I, I'm thankful for that question. Uh, thank you for asking that. I think... This is this is important. This is important, especially as I get a little bit older and, you know, just kind of reflect on on the years. I obviously want to be remembered as a as a winner. I think that's yeah. important. Somebody who came in and, and crushed their number and not just, you know, 100 percent, you know, 150, 180, 200. Like I want to be remembered as a as a as a sales killer. Yeah. But but there's a but here. And this 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 next piece is really important. But how did he achieve those goals? How did he coach his team? You know, Great. did he yeah. did he do it in a way that was compassionate? Did he do it in a way where, you know, like he didn't burn bridges? Did yeah. did, did, did he did he always have to be right? Like I don't care about being right. I care about doing what's right. I don't I really don't give Ooh. a shit if I'm right or wrong. I care about like did I take good care of people when, when people go home and talk to their friends and family about me, will they say, yeah, man, that guy's a winner. And, but he also took really good care of people. Like he didn't take shortcuts. He didn't, he didn't cheat the game. You know, yeah. he didn't, uh, he never phoned it in. And uh, I respect that guy because, you know, he showed me that you could be a salesperson and also be really ethical. You could be a salesperson and also be very compassionate. You could be a sales leader and never yell at people. Yeah. You could be a sale, a sales leader and never belittle someone, you know? And I've had some coaches or leaders that I've worked for in the past and they took they almost took pride in like publicly shaming you. And I don't, you know, and I'm like, "No." Yeah. I don't, I don't need to be remembered for that. I don't need that. <laughs> so that's that's what I want to be remembered for. I got I got results, but I did it in in an ethical way where people felt good about themselves. Nobody got talked down to, nobody felt belittled. Um I I I brought people with me on the journey. That's yeah. uh that's what I hope for. That's what I hope for. And how do you think you get people more people like on that same journey with you, right? Like because ultimately the only way that we change that so there's this negative connotation around sales right you told ever told somebody you're in sales and they say "Ooh," and yeah. ultimately i think one day i'd love to get us to the point 
where we tell people we're in sales and they're like, that's awesome. Like you must work really hard at just finding solutions for people. And ultimately, right? Like that's going to come down to leadership, pushing methodology down that says, let's just find solutions for people and um, just be really good at doing that. And if we did that day in and day out as salespeople, right? Could you imagine going to uh, a, a car lot and saying like, let me find a solution for you rather than how do we figure out how we rip you off the most, right? Like, I don't know. It's uh, it, it all comes from a leader, a leader, a leader's down, it. right? That's it. It starts, it starts from the top. So if you, if you walk into a car dealership and you feel like you're getting ripped off, it's not even that salesperson who's trying to rip you off. They're just trying to do what their company's ordering them to do, Absolutely. you know? And there's this whole process that they were taught. I don't think, I don't think they walked into their sales career waking up in the morning saying, can't wait to rip someone off today. Yeah. Like that, that was taught. So it starts, it starts with leadership and we as leaders have to have to show that we are willing to do the things that we're asking others to do. Just like, you know, look, uh, and I want to be, I want to be mindful here. Like if I'm, if I'm taking um, financial advice from someone, I really want that person to be filthy rich. If I'm taking, you uh, yeah, you would think, right? <laughs> They've already accomplished it for themselves. Yeah. So I do trust that there's, that their opinion is sound. If I'm taking, you know, if I'm, I don't know, trying to get better at personal fitness or, you know, getting better at nutrition or doing better for my health, the person that I'm looking for, for those answers, I would have wanted them to already have gone through that journey so that they can, that they can teach me. And that's the same thing in sales. You know, like I, I know that ethical sales work. They do. Yeah. I've proven it and I feel very confident that I could teach it. And, um, in fact, when somebody on my team tries to do something shysty, I talk to them quickly. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm like, look, you, you didn't have to do that. Like you, (laughs) you could have probably gotten the sale without those tactics. You know, like you could, you could have actually, you could have closed them. You didn't have to do that cheesy, you know, shysty nonsense. Yeah. You could have just been you. But I think that's right. Like ultimately where a good leader comes in and says, look, like you didn't need to do that to do the sale. And then, you know, it reinforces the good habits and yeah. takes, may, maybe starts taking away some more of the bad ones. And that's ultimately yeah. where we get to a point yeah. where you tell people, hey, like I'm a salesperson. They're like, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. I, I can't wait for that day, Tyler. I, I want to, man, I can't wait for that day. That's like, yeah, that's like dream come true. Yeah, I, I'm not a salesperson anymore. I just chief problem solver. That's it. Yeah, chief problem solver. I like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Account executive. Yeah, so that's what they call salespeople now because they don't want to be called salespeople. Yeah, exactly. Right. And well, man, uh, Lavi, this has been fun. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to get out of it. We appreciate you jumping on. Um, so we appreciate you, man. Yeah, appreciate the time. Um, really thankful. I'm glad I had a chance to to brag a little bit about my company too. I I'm finally in a place where I'm like, man, I love what I do for a living. My company kicks yeah. ass. Um, so even if I could sp- spread a little love to uh, Deer Doc on your on your on your show, I think people will get a lot of good use out of it. And 
I'm thankful that I got a chance to uh, talk about my leadership experience. And, you know, if somebody walks away from this saying like, you know, I could, I could do sales in an ethical way. That's a win for yeah. me. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate you today. Thank you. Absolutely. Everyone you can connect with, um, with lobby on LinkedIn. I will make sure he's tagged in the comments. You can listen to this um, podcast on Spotify, Apple music, YouTube, you name it. It's out there. Um, lobby. Appreciate you. Another episode of How the Grades Do It.